Amen. Thank you, Suzanne. Would you stand to your feet and let's give attention to God's word today as we continue our journey through the book of Romans. Uh, we've been in this for the last six weeks, and if you've missed or this is your first time, would encourage you to maybe go online and, and catch up to us, but we'll be in Romans chapter four today, and it's a joy for me. Uh, by the way, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy for me to be able to share this scripture with you today. We're in Romans chapter four. I'm not going to be able to cover the whole uh, passage of the whole chapter. I know you're bitterly disappointed, but I'm going to cover the first eight verses. And so I want to encourage you to read the rest on your own and go further, but let's give attention to Romans chapter four, verses one through eight. This is the word of God to you today. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Verse six, David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Romans 4 verses 1 through 8. God's word to you today. You can be seated. Well, for those of us who those of us who grew up in the 70s or the 80s, if you're a, a child of the 70s or 80s, just raise your hand. Do you remember an after-school program called um, Schoolhouse Rock? All right. For those of you who, yes, yes, let's give it up for that. Um, Schoolhouse Rock was designed to help us to learn things without knowing that we were learning things. So we would watch TV after school and they would sneak this in to actually continue our education without us even knowing it. And they did it through songs and different things and they would talk about history and, and mathematics and even grammar. And one of the favorites of Schoolhouse Rock that I remember was Conjunction Junction, what's your function? Do you remember that? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? And it would teach us in a fun way. We didn't even know we were learning. They tricked us into staying in school by watching television. Uh, what a conjunction is. And just as a reminder, conjunction, junction, what's your function? What is the function of a conjunction? A conjunction is a word that connects different phrases or clauses or words together. So the way that Schoolhouse Rock would describe it, and just uh, maybe this is helpful just in your mind's eye to think about uh, two trains coming together and connecting and a word that's connecting them together to pull it forward. So the song that was sung in the, in the video was, but or 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 and or conjunctions that will take us very far. They're, they're words that connect phrases or clauses and take it a long way down the road. And let's just for a second celebrate the conjunction junction that happens in Romans chapter three, verse 21. We covered it last week. Pastor Nick did a great job in the sermon. If you missed it, go back and listen. But in verse 21 of Romans chapter three, everything in the letter changes. 
Because if you've been with us from the beginning, you know that the first three chapters of Romans are tough. It's the bad news. I was a little bitter that I was out last week and missed the good news and I had to take all of the bad news. So I'm excited to be able to tell a little bit of the good news. But the truth is that the, the bad news is a part of the good news because as we've learned, you can't know how good the good news is until you know how bad the, the bad news is. Yes, somebody was listening. You can't know how good the good news is until you know how bad the bad news is. And spoiler alert, okay, let me just catch you up on three chapters of the Bible, Romans 1 through 3. It's bad. It's really bad. And Paul says the the bad is because of two things. Our self-centeredness, Romans chapter 1, the way that we constantly choose ourselves. We make ourselves God. We place our, our faith in ourselves. And we make us the center of our own universe. So we eat, we drink. We're trying to be married with everything in life we consume because we have one life to live and it's all about us. And we miss God in our self-centeredness. But Paul says there's a sneaky way that we miss God in Romans chapter two and into chapter three. And it's our self-righteousness. We miss God because of our self-centeredness and it's clear for everyone to see that we're living for ourselves. But we also miss God in more covert ways in our self-righteousness our religiosity, the ways that we think we can achieve God's standard on our own. And Paul goes to work in Romans 1 through 3, again, just to catch us up to our passage today, in saying that in both our self-centeredness and our self-righteousness, we fall short. We're broken, and that's the bad news. Because God's standard, everyone watch this, God's standard is unchanging and his standard is something called holiness. Now, what does holiness mean? We sing, we, we sing about the word holy, we say the word holy. What does the word holy mean? The word holy means different. It means different. And so when we say God is holy, he's different than us. And how is he different? In so many ways, but chiefly the way that God is different than us is that he's perfect. He's righteous. He's right, he's good, and we're not. So that's God's standard is perfect. Now, you know, every once in a while, I'll take an unscientific test in here and we'll do it today. How many of you are perfect people? You are a perfect person, usually one, all right? How many of you are perfect people? Okay, all right, we'll see at 11 o'clock if there's one, okay? None of us are perfect. All of us would say, look, I haven't done everything right in my life. I've said, I've said words that I shouldn't say. I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've thought things I shouldn't think. I, I, I'm not a perfect person. Now, what's God's standard? Perfect. And what are we? Not perfect. So what are we going to do about that? Well, there's a lot of things that people do about it. In Romans 1, they ignore it. And they say there is no standard. There is no law. There is no God. We're just materialistic Darwinists. Survival of the fittest. Do whatever you want to do. Get as much pleasure out of this life. Be a hedonist. Get everything you can out of this life for yourself. You get one life to live. Okay? That's one way to do it. And there's certainly many people that are doing that. But there's a whole other group of people in Romans 2 and 3 that say, what are we going to do about that gap between my imperfection and God's perfection? I'm just going to try to get better. I'm going to be the best version of myself. And I'm going to take a philosophy or religiosity or whatever it might be. And I'm going to try to just get better and do better and be a better person. 
And Paul in Romans 1 and 2 and 3 begins to set up this whole idea of self-centeredness and self-righteousness and the ways that all of us miss God. And then he enters into the story this third way, if you will. There's another way. And it starts with this beautiful conjunction in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. If you have your scripture, circle it. Write it down if you're taking notes. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, this beautiful conjunction. But, but now... Martin Lloyd-Jones said there's, there's no more wonderful words in the scriptures, right, than these, than these two words, but now. It changes everything. But now, let me read it to you, verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. So what is he saying? God's shown us another way. Not through our um, ignoring that God exists, that he designed us, that there's a creation. That's all Romans 1. We ignore it and we live however we want to. And not through trying to keep all the requirements of the law and thinking that we can achieve perfection on our own. There's another way. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. And it's connected with this wonderful conjunction junction of but now. But now there's another way. And the other way that God has made is Jesus that Jesus came to do for you and for me what I could not and what I would not do for myself. I could not do it because I'm not a perfect person. And I, and, I, and I would not do it because I'm a rebellious person that left unto myself, I will choose myself. And God knew that. And that's why he sent Jesus to do for us what we could not and what we do, would not do for ourselves. And then Paul continues, look at verse 22. Paul says, we're made right with God. How? By being a good person? Being born into the right family? Coming to church? Giving money to the church? Doing good things? Praying? Trying to be a good person? Is that what he says? We're made right with God. Look at it with me. This isn't my word. This is God's word to you to each of us, Romans 3, 22, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for some people who believe. Is that what it says? No. This is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. This is the answer to everything that Paul's been unpacking in the first three chapters of how bad the bad news is. And now he's going to say in an explosion of grace, this is how good the good news is. That God has made another way. And the other way is by faith. Not by our self-centeredness or our self-righteousness, but by Christ's righteousness for us. And our simple faith and trust in him. Not a perfect faith, not a 100% faith. Remember, Jesus said the faith of a mustard seed was the tiniest seed. The faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Our simple childlike belief and trust in what Christ has done. And the remainder of chapter three, just to catch us up, is Paul unpacking how this works and what Jesus has done for us. And by placing our faith in Jesus, how God makes us right. Now, we get to Romans 4, our text today. And again, I can't cover the whole chapter. I'm gonna cover the first eight verses. You go further. Read on your own. We've got a reading guide at the door. Pick it up. Read on your own. We've got study guides. You can find it. Go further. 
Study on your own. We've got a study Bible out there. If you don't have a study Bible, grab a study Bible, give it to you. As long as you'll use it, take it and use it. When we get to Romans 4, Paul's going to keep going here with how good the good news is. And he calls two star witnesses, if you will. He's going to call two star witnesses to the stand. Remember, Paul was a first-rate attorney. Right? He was an expert in the law of God, right? And the irony here, the, the man who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, an expert in God's law, is now talking about how he can't keep the law on his own and nobody can. And how it's only through grace, our, th- th- what God has done for us and our simple faith and what he's done for us that we can be declared righteous. And so now he's putting on a case for all of us to see, a case for Christ, a case for grace over self-centeredness and self-righteousness. And he's going to call two witnesses to the stand. Here they come, okay? If you're taking notes, write these two names down. Abraham and David, two big names in the Bible, Abraham was the the father of the faith. He was the father of Israel. He was the father of the Jews. He was the one that God called to start the faith, to leave his home, to go to the promised land. And God says that Abraham believed that and God credited it to him as righteousness. And we'll get to that. So Abraham is is the father of the faith, the father of Judaism. And the one that for a a Jewish audience of which three-fourths probably of the people that were reading or listening to this letter in the church at Rome came out of Judaism. And so they revered Abraham and extra-biblical rabbinical writings. Uh, Some rabbis would would write to their, their followers that Abraham was a perfect man, that he was without sin. And, and, and for, for every Jew, what we can agree on is that they revered Abraham as, as, a, as a model of what it meant to follow the law and to fulfill the law and to believe God. And, and, and surprisingly, Paul's going to call Abraham to the stand and say, it's not about works, it's about faith. Okay, here's our second star witness, David. David was a king of Israel. He was the greatest king in Israel, revered by the Jews as the high watermark king for Israel, where they were at the peak of their prosperity and peace and expansion. He was was held in such a high regard and esteem. Abraham and David both were. And surprisingly, Paul's going to use both of them as an example of grace, and to point his audience towards, it's not about self-centeredness, but particularly it's not about self-righteousness for the Jewish audience. It's only by faith that you can be credited with the righteousness of Christ. So the question for Romans 4, if you're taking notes, is, is it the gospel of grace, what God's done for you, or is it a gospel of works, what you have to do to work your way to God? something that you can do, something that you initiate, something that you move toward, or is it that God moved towards you? Okay, so first witness, Abraham, verses one through five, if you're taking notes. Chapter four, verses one through five. Abraham was humanly speaking, Paul writes, the founder of the Jewish nation. And what did he discover about being made right with God? Now, I want you to circle one word in your Bible or write it down if you're taking notes. The word is discover from verse one. This is an important word, the way it's translated. 
the reason why it's so important is because Abraham, the founder of the faith, did not initiate faith with God. He did not initiate a step towards God. He discovered his way to God, the way that God had already made for him. And this is so important. We don't create the way to God. We don't invent a way to God. Some people try to. We don't work our way to God. This is what Paul is saying. We discover the way that God has already made for us to be in relationship with him. So discovery is a key word. We don't invent truth, by the way. We discover truth. We discover the truth that God has already created and ordained for this world to operate and function by. So again, two options for Abraham. His first option as he's presenting, as Paul is presenting him as a witness, is religiosity or works. And the second option is a righteousness that, or a work that came apart from himself that God did for him. And he says, was God, uh, did God make Abraham righteous before or after? And this may seem strange, the rest of the chapter, you can read it. Circumcision, which was a sign or a symbol of faith. And, and, and if it would have been after, it would have been, I did something to show you, God, how much I, I love you and how much faith I have in you. And then you gave me righteousness out of that. And Paul says, no, it was before. It was long before that, that God credited Abraham righteous. Why? Because God made the way. And it was by faith that Abraham was made righteous. Look at verse two. If his good deeds, speaking of Abraham, if his good deeds, his works made him acceptable to God, he would have something to boast about. And I want you to underline this phrase, but that was not God's way. It's not God's way for us to work our way to him. It was God's way, the God of the Bible, to work his way to us. The gospel, Christianity in general, stands apart from every other world religion. You've heard me say this in this way. In some form or fashion, every other philosophy, every other world religion, and I know some of you are exploring those, some of you are investigating those, you're investigating Christianity. What makes Christianity stand apart from every other world religion or philosophy is that every other world religion or philosophy says you've got to do something to invent, to create, to initiate, to move towards God. Three pillars, five steps, you name it, something you've got to do. Christianity alone says that God stepped towards you. And we'll discover next week in Romans 5, when we were running the other direction, that God stepped towards you and initiated the relationship. And now we discover the way that God has made for us. We don't create or invent that. If you grew up in church, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you grew up in church, you grew up hearing sermons, you grew up learning the Bible, some of this for us is unlearning some of the things that we heard or we, we thought we heard or that, or, or that we perceived that were taught to us. I'm just going to uh, give an example of this. And I want to say this because we're filming this one right now. I'm not against children's Bible. So please don't send me your emails or letters that I'm against children's Bible. I'm not. But I want to give an example of a children's Bible and some of the simple stories that we begin teaching our, our children, which are so important. Please hear me. You should read the Bible to your kids. If, uh, children's Bibles can be very helpful, but they can also be unhelpful. And let me give you an example why. This is one that I pulled off of our shelf, okay? Mayor, do you remember this one? Um, and this is of Abraham, our first star witness here. And it's, it's like four pages that's going to describe Abraham. And this is what it says about Abraham. It's, it's summarizing Genesis 12 through 17, which you can go and read on your own as God initiates a relationship with, with Abraham. 
Abraham, this is what, this is what the children's Bible says. Abraham loved God and so did his wife, Sarah. And there they are, the happy couple. And they're both smiling and hugging each other. And this is true. It's not untrue. It's true. Abraham and Sarah did love God. And I'm sure there were, were moments where they were hugging and smiling like this. I don't know if they were white like they are in here, but, but that's a different thing, okay? All right, so here they are. She's, she's joking. He's laughing. And Abraham loved God and so did Sarah, okay? But here's what's missing from this, that we as parents, as grandparents, as spiritual parents in the church have to go further into the story. Because oftentimes in life, we believe way too simple of a story. We believe simple stories about ourselves and simple stories about other people. And the truth is, as you've heard me say, there are no simple stories. People are very complex, including our friend Abraham and Sarah. So what this doesn't say that is in Genesis 12 through 17 and beyond is that right after God initiated this relationship and they loved God and they're smiling and whatever, is there was a famine in the land. There was a crisis. And they made their way to Egypt. And when they got to Egypt, Abraham had a crisis of belief. He could trust God in a really scary moment or he could trust in himself. And guess who he chose? Himself in a very weird way. And you can go and read this for yourself. Okay, I'm not gonna get into all the details. But basically he gets to Egypt and they're coming through, you know, customs or whatever. And Abraham says to Sarah, look, I, I'm, this, this may sound strange, but you know, you're a beautiful woman. And if they think I'm married to you, they're gonna kill me so they can have you. So let's, let's, let's come up with an agreement here. And I don't know how much Sarah was smiling at this point, um, if it looked like this, but he says, why don't you act like you're my sister? And that way, you know, Pharaoh will take you as his wife and I'll be given, you know, a blessing too, basically to prosper in the land. Does that sound like a good plan? Here, here they are. And that's what they do. That happened. And God reveals to Pharaoh that Sarah is the wife of Abraham. And he confronts Abraham with the truth and Abraham says, no, that's, that's right. And Pharaoh kicks them out of Egypt. And can you imagine the car ride home for Abraham and for Sarah? And I'm going to guess that they didn't look like this driving home, right? Remember that time that you told another man that I was your sister and you gave me to him in marriage as to be one of his wives and then they kicked us out? Do you remember that? Right. Awkward. Okay. You would think that Abraham and Sarah, who loved God, that after a weird moment of being deceitful and not trusting God, that that would never happen again, right? Guys, when we make uh, mistakes with our spouses, with our wives, you know, and we learn from it, whatever, and it never happens again, right? Right? Wrong. A few chapters later, there's a man named Abimelech. And Abraham and Sarah, again, find themselves in a place of need. They're traveling as foreigners. And, and Abraham says, Sarah, I got, a, I got an idea. Let's run the same play that we ran down in Egypt. And that way, everything will work out. And they do it again. Now, what's my point in this? To, uh, to diminish Abraham and Sarah? Absolutely not. 
Abraham and Sarah did believe God. This is all true in Romans 4, as Paul says, that God credited to them as righteousness because of their belief. What am I trying to say? It wasn't perfect. It wasn't this simple, and neither is your story. Dr. Carol Kaminsky, who is a wonderful scholar, she's the chair of Old Testament at Gordon-Conwell Seminary in Boston, and we use her book as our curriculum in our New City Academy for both New Testament survey and Old Testament survey. And as last year we were completing Old Testament survey, Dr. Kaminsky came and lectured for us. And she gave this illustration. She brought her own stack of children's Bibles. And she said, you know, we oftentimes believe far too simple of a story about our biblical heroes. And the story that we begin to learn at a young age is that they were these perfect people that believed God and trusted God in ways that we just never could. And that's why they're in the Bible. And I just want to challenge each of us to, to read the Bible. And when we read the Bible, really what we're going to see is that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Joseph and David and all of these wonderful people that God used were wonderfully broken. They were complex people that both believed and equally deceived. Abraham was a believer and he was a deceiver. And the truth is that that shadow self of him, of, of who he really, his true identity, of his belief in God and God, God's credited righteousness to him, his true self was shadowed by this false self of deceit. And the truth is that that deceit carried all throughout his family. We can see that in multiple generations where that deceit continues to rise up. And again, my point in, in, that I'm making here and that Paul is making is not that Abraham was a perfect person and that's why God credited him as righteousness, that he's smiling here and he loved God and that's why he was made righteous. No, he was a very complex person that believed God and then deceived God, that trusted in God and then would, would trust in himself. Does that sound familiar? And yet in his trust, in his simple belief, as best that he could believe and trust God, as best he could have faith in God through his brokenness, God chose to credit him righteous because of that faith. It's an incredible thing. And this is what Paul is busy unpacking here. And the, the word here is a Greek word. It's logisomai. And I know it's a weird word. And I don't expect you to remember the word. Logisomai. But it's a really important word that Paul introduces here. Here it is up on the screen. Logisomai. The word means credited. Now, Paul uses this word in Romans 4, logisomai, 11 times. If you're keeping score, verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, 22, 23, and 24. He uses this word. You think it's important? Logisomai. Credited. And what is the context? What is Paul saying about this? that God credits us righteousness because of our faith. A perfect faith? No. Our simple, childlike, complex faith. And because of that simple, small, complex faith that's placed in Christ, God credits to our spiritual bank accounts full righteousness. Now this is the miracle of the gospel. This word is so important to Orthodox Christianity. What do I mean by that? 
an evangelical understanding of what it means to follow Jesus that has been corrupted in so many different ways where Jesus has been co-opted by different religiosities and philosophies to be a good teacher, a moralist, somebody that we could even believe existed, someone that we even believe in. But here's the difference. What Paul is saying is, it's more than just believing that Jesus existed. It's more than believing that Jesus walked this earth, that he was a good person. It's even more than believing that Jesus died on the cross. It's trusting him. It's trusting. So James, the brother of Jesus, says, even the demons believe in Jesus. They believe Jesus. They don't trust Jesus. This isn't a trick question. D. James Kennedy He's a great pastor and he wrote a, a program, some of you remember that name, Evangelism Explosion. And God used him in a great way to share the gospel with many people around the country and the world. But here was D. James Kennedy's question that he based all of his teaching around. If you were to die tonight and stand before God and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? how would you answer? Now here's an answer that you'll often hear outside of these doors, okay? If you ask that question, well, I'm a good person. <laughs> I'm trying to be a good person. I think I've, I think I've done more good than wrong. I, I, I hope that I'm gonna 51 to 49 get in and be on the, the good side. You'll, you'll hear that in a lot of different forms, but, but here's the answer you'll hear inside these walls, and maybe for you right here. Well, I believe in God, and I'm trying to be a good person. Now, I want you to hear something. Belief is great. We, we have to, Hebrews eleven six says that if we have faith, we have to begin by believing that God exists and that he earnestly rewards those who seek him. So we believe, but listen, Credited righteousness, logisomai, happens when we place our faith in Christ, when we trust in Christ, when we move from just believing that Jesus existed and that he died for my sins to trusting in him. And dear friends, this is a trust exchange. What does that mean? It means that we're exchanging our trust in ourselves, Romans 1, self-centeredness, or our trust in some kind of religiosity, moralism, philosophy, whatever you want to call it, whatever label you want to put on it, something I've got to do to prove my worth to God. It means that I'm giving up on both of those and instead I'm placing my trust in Jesus. The other way, the third way that Paul describes, God made another way for us to be declared righteous apart from the law. And that's the gospel that Jesus did for you and for me what I could not, what I would not, what, what we would not, what we could not do for ourselves. Now, I want you to ask yourself the question that D. James Kennedy asked, the most important question that you could ask yourself. If I died tonight and I stood before God and God said, why should I allow you into my heaven? How would you answer? This isn't a trick question. From Genesis to Revelation, God is answering this question. This is why Paul is calling upon Abraham all the way back to Genesis 15. And he says, the answer is logisimai, credited righteousness, that because 
I have faith. I have, the, the closest word that we have in the English language to the word, biblical word faith is trust. Because I'm trusting not in myself or in my religi- religiosity or my works or that I'm a good person. I'm trusting in Jesus as best I can in my brokenness. I'm trusting in him. And this is what Paul is communicating. And again, shockingly for many of his Jewish readers in the church in Rome, he's calling Abraham as his star example. And he's saying, even look back at Abraham. Abraham was declared righteous, not because he was a great guy, not because he just loved God more than anybody else. Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith. And as we just learned, it was not a perfect faith. It was a faith that was full of belief and deceit, but it was faith nonetheless. And Jesus said, I'll take the faith of a mustard seed and I'll make it move a mountain. If you'll just trust me. So Abraham's faith was a credited faith. And the proof is found in Romans 4, 5. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Look at Romans 4, verse 5. Paul says, but people are counted as righteous. There's our word. Not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Don't you love that? God forgives sinners like you and like me. But it's not because I'm a good person or even that I believe that he does it. I'm trusting that God forgives me because of his completed work on the cross for me. I'm placing my faith in him. And lest we think that it's more than that, remember that the center cross was the most important thing that happened in the history of the world. But what happened on Jesus' left and right are very important too. Of two different people, one that continued to mock God and reject God and his own self-centeredness and another one that placed his simple faith and trust in God. And remember what Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You'll come into my heaven. Could he get baptized? Nope, even though baptism is a wonderful thing. Could he join the church? Nope. Could he do something good for somebody else? Absolutely not. He just placed his simple faith in the Savior of the world. Okay, our second witness, David, very quickly, verses six through eight. Basically, Paul says, I'm gonna summarize this. David agrees with Abraham. The king of Israel, the the mighty king of Israel, the one who slayed the giant, the one who expanded the boundaries of Israel, the one that brought peace and prosperity to to Israel, the one that put the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem and called people to worship in Jerusalem and Israel, the one who was mighty King David, even he knew, even David knew that it wasn't him and his righteousness. The truth is that David learned a spiritual principle that that we need to learn as well. And that is that believing and boasting can never go together. That it's only when we stop boasting in our self-centeredness and our self-righteousness that we can be, begin to believe and, and then move from belief to trust and faith in what Christ has done for us. David knew that he had so many reasons to boast, but he had an equal number of reasons to be crushed by his own deceitfulness, committing adultery, conspiring to murder, uh, choosing over and over again to deceive and, and choose his false self, his shadow self, as many of us do as well. And that gives context to these wonderful words in verse six. Look at them with me, Romans four, verse six. uh, David says, oh, the blessedness of the man to whom God has credited righteousness. There's our word again, apart from works. In other words, God's not looking at me and going, you got in 51 to 49. God is looking at me and saying, it's 100% 
you've been declared righteous, not because you are righteous, you've been declared righteous. Many of you are in the financial sector in this city and you understand the difference between a credit and a debit. And what Paul is saying here is that your account, your spiritual mortgage account has been paid in full. It's been credited, not because you paid it off, but because Jesus paid it for you. And the way to receive that credit is not to work or to be smart or any of those things or have the right last name or be born in the right place. It's to place your simple and broken faith in Christ alone. Notice what David does not say here. Blessed are those who never sin. Blessed is the man who learns to obey perfectly. Blessed is the one who loves God just like Abraham and Sarah did perfectly. No, that's not what he says. Moreover, look at verses seven and eight. This is, this is the heart of David. You know, the Psalms are the, the heart. They're poems. They're, they're meant to, to evoke emotions of, of how this faith is experienced in our lives. And listen to his words. This is Psalm 32, one through two, that Paul pulls in here to Romans four. He says, but David's words, he says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience has been forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight, that God doesn't see your sins anymore because he's credited his righteousness to you. So when he sees you, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see you. And here's the amazing thing, that God sees you the same way he sees Jesus. The father sees you the same way he sees his son. And he loves you just as much as he loved Jesus. So when Jesus came out of, out of the water from his baptism, you know, the spirit of God descended on him and the voice from his father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And those are the same words that he says to you. And that becomes our sense of belonging and identity in Christ. And then he says in verse eight here, uh, Psalm 32, verse two, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Being in a state of credited righteousness, not righteousness that I earned. If you work for it, it's a wage, it's not a gift. Being in a state of credited righteousness means that your sin is not being counted against you, but the work of Christ has been credited to your spiritual bank account. And knowing the blessing of credited righteousness is the joy of salvation. It's the only way to be liberated to be who you really are, your true self fully alive, the true story of who you are and who God made you to be. Everything else is a false self. The deceiving, all the stuff in the scriptures where we see people com completely deceiving one another and deceiving God, it's a false story that they're believing. The only way to be liberated and truly understand ourselves, to be able to tell the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of it, is to know that your righteousness has been credited from God, that it's not you, it's Christ now. And when God sees you in your spiritual bank account, he doesn't see a 51 to 49, he sees a 100% because of what Jesus did. When Dr. Kaminsky was here, she gave a really helpful phrase, and we'll end here at the bottom line. When we look at all these stories of the Bible, these amazing people that, that God used in incredible ways, and then we see the amazing, spectacular ways that they, they disbelieved God, they deceived one another, they, they, they fell short. A better phrase when we look at all of these folks and when we look at ourselves is this, there once was a man named Abraham. There once was a sinner. There once was a sinner named Abraham who found favor with God through faith. There once was a sinner named Sarah who found favor with God through faith. There once was a sinner named David 
who found favor with God through faith. There once was a sinner named Chris who found favor with God through faith. There once was a sinner named, you put your name there, who found favor, righteousness with God through faith. That is the glory of the gospel and the good news. And we'll go further with it next week. Let's pray together. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Jesus, this is what you did for us. That you came and did for us what we could not and would not do for ourselves. And you credited our spiritual bank account 100% full not because of our works or our perfect faith or belief or trust in you, but because of our childlike faith, our simple yet broken faith in you. This is the miracle of the gospel. And I pray for each of my friends today, for those here in the room, those watching online, that we would place our faith and trust in you. For some who are here who would say, man, I, I believe God existed. I believe God died on the cross for me. I'm trying to be a good person, but I've never trusted Christ. I've never placed my my faith. I've never exchanged my faith for myself and my religiosity to Jesus. I pray for each of my friends today that they could they could in the best words they can they can form in their mouth and in their heart express their simple childlike faith in you Jesus. This is the miracle of the gospel. And would you help us to experience the joy that comes with knowing that you have credited our account paid in full and your righteousness. To Christ be the glory today. Amen.